Oliver Stone's 1987 film, Wall Street. It defined much of the culture of the 1980s. In the film, there was a character by the name of Gordon Gecko. It was played by Michael Douglas. And he made this statement, greed, for a lack of a better word, is good. That idea, greed is good, defined much of the culture and the mindset of the 1980s. In reality, people didn't need a mantra like greed is good in order to be greedy. In fact, greed is absolutely a part of the sin nature. It's part of what we deal with with desires of the flesh. But at the same time, that movie very clearly sent a message that free markets and capitalism and all that goes with them are designed for the purpose of greed. They would give unscrupulous people, such as Gordon Gecko, an opportunity to line their pockets at the expense of others. The messaging of the movie was very clear, and that is greed is good. Now, I want you to hold that thought for just a moment. Another famous quote also came from the entertainment industry, but it was from a very well-respected, well-loved person in American culture. His name was Will Rogers. Will Rogers was a guy who was loved from coast to coast of people of all ages and all political persuasions. He was a stage actor as well as a movie star. He starred in 71 different films. He was also a cowboy performer who would rope a steer and ride a bronco. He was a commentator writing 4,000 different articles for newspapers. He was an aviator and a humorist, a comedian, a radio broadcaster, and a speechwriter. Pretty much if there was something out there to do, Will Rogers had his hand in it. Now, it was his down-to-earth, folksy style of commentary that caused people to really love this guy. He would often speak to things like gangsters and politicians in the same statement, many times referring to the same people. Um, He would talk about government programs. He would talk about maybe other controversial issues of the day. But he did it in a way in which rarely did it get people upset. More often than not, it was for the purpose of entertainment, and people loved him for it. Now, he was once given a quote on money and contentment, and here's what he said. What's considered enough money? Just a little bit more. Such a simple idea, but so in tune with human nature. It doesn't matter what part of the socioeconomic spectrum we might be on. If you were to ask an average person, what would it take for you to be comfortable as well as content? The idea is if I just had a little bit more. That's exactly what I need. So both of those quotes, greed is good and just a little bit more, connect with two types of sinful desire. That is greed and discontentment. This last week I made mention of the fact that we are going to take a number of weeks right in the middle of our Issues of the Heart series and we're talking about respectable sins. I defined that this last week as a term that describes behaviors that Christians consider to be acceptable, even though the Bible describes them as sinful. These are the types of sins that are so prevalent within our culture that we just stop thinking about them. We ignore them. We tolerate them. We overlook them. It's just a part of life for so many people. But this last week, we dealt with three sinful desires. We talked about envy. We talked about jealousy. And we talked about covetousness. So in each of those, it is an unhealthy or a sinful desire that has now gone away from God's plan and his desire for people. 
When it comes to coveting, that refers to lustful longings or desirous longings for something or someone. Envy is a lustful or a resentful desire for what somebody else has. And then jealousy, it expresses this fearful desire to keep what each of us have. So when sinful desires are left unchecked, we gave a whole list of all the other problems and sins that would come as a result of that. For example, with that comes resentment, self-love, idolatry, ungratefulness, living in fear, lack of trust, controlling people, uh, entitlement, not loving people, hatred, division, pride, you name it. It's this massive list, or as what we find in James 3.16, it brings about disorder and every evil thing. One of the points I made last week is sin never travels alone. You might be looking at one part, but there's often other pieces that are attached to it. Well, today we're going to address two more sinful desires. Both of these are ones very clearly mentioned in Scripture, dealing with greed and discontentment. If you were to look up each of those words in your Bible, you will find that there is strong biblical rebuke of each. In fact, both of these words, according to Scripture, are going to bring problems for us, problems for our family, problems for the people that are around us. And yet, you can be in church for most of your adult life and never hear a single message specifically on greed or discontentment. It might be mentioned in passing, But to actually take a week and to focus on those two things, it's rare. Now, some people might wonder, like, why would we not do that? Well, one of the main reasons why something like this happens is often people just don't think it's that big of a deal. They're like, oh, everybody struggles with that. It's just a part of human nature. It's it's not that big of a thing, although the Bible is very clear about the destruction and the problems that come from it. Also, a part of the reason is it is so prevalent in the church and outside of the church That we look around and it's like, everybody else just looks the same as me. Why would we even address it? And then here's another issue. Part of the reason is it's hard to define when a person steps over a line into an area of sin. So for example, how do you know if you have moved from biblical prudence when it comes to saving into sinful greed when it comes to money? What does that line look like? As you look in scripture, it's not like there is a monetary amount, a number amount. It's not a percentage amount. So how does a person know when they've stepped over that particular line? Or let's think about contentment for just a moment. Is it wrong for us to wish for a better life or to desire a higher standard of living? Or for that matter, to pray and ask God for a promotion at work? Is it being discontent? If we say, God, I want something more than what I'm experiencing right now. Like, where is the line for that individual? Here's another one. What's the difference between doing things to benefit you and those that you love, called self-interest, versus going across the line and living only for self without regard for others, that's called selfishness? We're actually going to get into that line this morning. There, There is a line, a biblical line, where there is to be proper prudence when it comes to self-interest, but if we're not careful, those desires go across the line and it goes into selfishness. How do we know what that line is and when we're getting close to it and whether or not we have crossed over it? So whenever we start to look at what's the line, we go down a layer or two in the conversation, we, we try to understand things from a biblical perspective, you will find that it seems like there's a lot of gray area when it comes to greed 
and discontentment. But listen to this. When we understand a biblical perspective on each one of those, it helps us walk with a biblical level of certainty in each one. Now, please hear me on this. It should never be that we get to a place that we do not sit in a natural place of tension between us and God, bringing each of these pieces before him and saying, Lord, what would you have me to do? But what you will find is when we understand what Scripture says on those topics, it becomes clearer and clearer as to how he wants us to respond in that moment. And when you know how to respond, there is a natural, good, biblical certainty that comes with this. So this morning, we are going to get into some texts that you might have been in church your whole life and you've never heard a message on. I'm glad you're here. Somebody's not glad they're here this morning, but that's okay. I hope that's not you. So, all right, I invite you to go with me in your Bibles today. We're going to be in two different passages, Proverbs 28, 25, and then also we will be in Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. I'm speaking this morning on the subject of greed and discontentment. Both of these passages, I believe, are going to be in your notes. They will be on the screen behind me. But here's what the text says. The greedy stir up conflict, but those who trust in the Lord will prosper. Pause there for just a moment. I want you to notice in this passage, and we're going to come back to it towards the end of the message, notice how greed and discontentment are often connected to trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Passage after pastor, there's going to be a connection between this greed, discontentment, and it's being contrasted with trust in the Lord. Here's the next one, Philippians 4, 11 through 13. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask this morning that your spirit guide us into truth. God, would you give us a contemplative, reflective attitude this morning that we process your word according to your desires and in connection with your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So one of the things that we need to do at the very beginning is make sure we actually understand our two words, greed and discontentment. So we're going to start with greed. That's where the bulk of our time is going to be spent this morning. And I simply want us to look at what we find right over there in Proverbs 28. Now, depending upon your translation, you're going to find that this particular verse, Proverbs 28, verse 25, can look really, really differently depending upon the translation that you're using. So, for example, I primarily preach out of the NASB, and here's what it says. An arrogant man stirs up strife. If you happen to have a King James Bible, it'll say, he that is of proud heart. Did you notice that both of those refer to arrogance or pride? That seems to be the focus on the first part of the verse. But if you happen to have an ESV, it says a greedy man. The NIV, the greedy. New Living Translation, greed. ASV, it says a greedy spirit. 
So, so you have two different words that they seem very different. One speaks of pride and arrogance. The other translations are talking about greed. So why is there such a disparity between the two of those? Well, the Hebrew word that is mentioned here and being translated in this simply means broad, wide, spread out, extensive, now listen to this, haughty, greedy. Okay, so both of those words are 100% within the context of what that particular word means. But here's the issue that we want to see. Each of the different translations are going to distinguish the object of our faith that determines the direction of our life. Let, let me say that again. The object of our faith is going to determine the direction of our life. So some of the translators are going to contrast the greedy man. And that is somebody who has a large appetite or it says a wide throat. They just want more and more and more. So it's going to contrast a greedy man with the one who trusts in the Lord. That's the second part of the verse. And the question becomes, what is the object of that person's faith? Do they trust in what they have or do they trust in the one that they follow? Then other translators are going to contrast the arrogant man. That is the one who is prideful. He is arrogant. He is, has extreme uh, different uh, maybe accomplishments in his past. And he, he's going to be one that's very prideful about what he's done. And once again, it's going to contrast that arrogant man against the one who places their faith in God. And the question is once again, what is the object of their faith? Do they trust in what they've done or do they trust in who they follow? So both translations are good translations. They accurately simply give a different part of that exact same word. Now, whether or not the trait is going to be one we're talking about with pride or greed, here's the issue in both. They come back to self-centeredness, and the person is often ruthless if they have that as a character quality. The desire to get our own way, to do our own thing, in some ways to toot our own horn is going to put us in a position where we are always looking out for ourselves to the point it will cause strife with those around us. It's going to annoy those who are around us. So a greedy man, a prideful man, is going to stir up strife with those who are around them. For this person, the harder they push for what they want, their zeal often gets in the way of actually obtaining it. On the opposite side is the person who trusts in the Lord. They've submitted all of their appetites to God. And according to the text, that individual will prosper. That individual will be satisfied. So what is our biblical definition of greed? Very simple. Greed is a strong and selfish desire for more of something irrespective of need. Greed is a strong and selfish desire for more of something irrespective of need. So one New Testament scholar by the name of John Rittenbaugh describes greed as a ruthless, self-seeking, and arrogant assumption that others and things exist for our own benefit. Did you, did you hear that? Did you hear the words? It, it is this ruthless, self-seeking, arrogant assumption. Those words are the exact same ones that we're kind of going back and forth saying, how does pride fit into that? It brings out another aspect of what greed is all about. William Barclay describes greed as an accursed love of having. He goes on to say, it is those who will pursue its own interest with complete disregard for the rights of others and even for the consideration of common humanity. 
Can you see how in each of those definitions there is selfishness, there is arrogance, there is lack of love for others that comes out in that description? So when you see what the Bible says about the topic of greed, it's very clear that we have multiple warnings coming in multiple directions. So Jesus warned about greed back over in Luke 12, 15, when he said, watch out, be on guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. That's a good word for all of us to remember. Jesus also warned people that greed for money is going to compete with our devotion to God. He says in Matthew 6, you cannot serve God and money. At one point along the way, one is going to win out. The Apostle Paul goes as far as to say in 1 Timothy 6, 9, and 10, but those who want to get rich fall into temptation. Pause there for a moment. It's already quiet in here, so let's make it more quiet. <laughs> when you think, oh, I'm not greedy, take a moment to listen to what it's saying about those who are thinking, I want more, I want more. Because this is the end of the road. This is the path that comes with a greater and greater desire for more. He says, but those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare, that's a trap, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. Does that sound like a path that any of us want to be on? It goes on to say, For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. That is a strong word of caution. Now again, notice this says in the text, the love of money. I always had to go back and say, there's nothing wrong with money. Money's not good or bad. Money's just a thing. The issue is, what do you do with it? The issue is, what role does it place in your life? There's some people, listen, some people God has gifted to make lots and lots and lots of money. But those same people, when God has their heart, they look at it as an opportunity to give lots and lots and lots away. Praise God for that. There's nothing wrong with having money as long as money doesn't have us. So here's another one of those warnings. We find the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 13, verses 5 and 6, make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself said, here's that connection again to trusting God, he himself said, I will never desert you, nor will I forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. Stop there. There is this contrast that is happening between how greed creeps in and oftentimes how greed begins to take over because we think, I have to provide for myself. I got to make sure everything's taken care of. If I don't do it, it's not going to happen. And we begin to totally rule out God in the equation. That nothing wrong, and I'm going to be very clear to them, nothing wrong with working hard, saving, and caring for your family. But you all know as well as I do, one tragedy, one bad week in the market, and it's gone. And the question now becomes, when that's where your trust was at, what is the next day going to look like for you? Are you going to have confidence that your God is going to take care of your needs? 
Will you walk with confidence in recognizing that it comes in and it leaves? It's here today and it's gone tomorrow. None of us can take it with us. If you and I had all of our accounts gone tomorrow, could we wake up like Job and say, though he slay me, yet will I trust him? That's somebody who had wealth, but he was not dependent upon the wealth. It had a proper position in his life. So how much is enough? Where does greed begin to sink in? Now, this is so important because sometimes we kind of throw out the baby with the bathwater, so to speak. We get so afraid of greed that we don't actually pay attention to the rest of what Scripture says. So doesn't God instruct people, specifically husbands and fathers, to care for the needs of their family? Yes, he does. Here's a reference, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially members of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Providing for your family is biblical. Now, go beyond that. Listen to what it says in Proverbs 13:22. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. That's your grandkids. Now, if you and I have any hope of leaving anything to our grandkids, here's what that's going to mean. We're going to have to work hard, have to do some saving and some investing, and we can't spend or necessarily even give away everything that comes in. There, There has to be this balance somehow in the process, but that's the difficult line. When you are working hard, when you are saving and investing, when you're caring for your family, it is so easy to step over the line and say, I want more, more, more. I need a bigger cushion. I need more of an on-ramp. I want to make sure this is taking And before you know it, you've moved out of what would be biblical self-interest and you move into an area of selfishness. So where is the line? And let's be clear on this. Self-interest is the willingness to do something of value for others to secure things of benefit for yourself. Let me say that again. Self-interest is a willingness to do something of value for others. That is, you get up and you go to work. You get up and you provide a good, a service. You're doing something of value for others to secure things of benefit for oneself, whether or not that is compensation, whether or not that's health insurance, whether or not that is a comfortable lifestyle, whatever that might be. The Scottish moral philosopher Adam Smith gave this statement in the nature and causes of wealth of nations. And and you got to listen. It's simple, but it's good. He said, it is not from the benevolence of the butcher, the brewer, or the baker that we expect our dinner, but from their regard to their own self-interest. End of quote. Here's what that means. People don't get up and go to work out of benevolence to give everything away. Basic human nature is they're going to get up and go to work because they want to take care of themselves and their family. But when they get up and go to work to do that, they now have something to also give away to others. There is a generosity that flows out of biblical self-interest. So many people associate self-interest with selfishness, and they think it's the same thing. But the Bible does not condemn a person having self-interest when it comes to caring for their needs and caring for the needs of those that they love. In fact, it even expects it. Listen to this passage, Philippians 2.4. Let each of you 
look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. In other words, it is expected that you're going to look out for yourself and your family. But it says, but don't stop there. Also look out for the interest of others. The verse is teaching a balance between self-interest with compassion for others. In other words, work hard. Take care of your family. Put some savings away. Do some investing. But as you're doing all of these things, don't forget that a part of what it means to walk as a follower of Christ is we are going to love and we are going to care for and we're going to help and we're going to serve people that are not in our immediate circle of influence. Without the leading of the Holy Spirit, self-interest will devolve into greed. Through the leading of the Holy Spirit, self-interest can enable us to care for our families and for the needs of those that are around us. Now let's pause for just a moment. What is a biblical prescription for greed? How do we protect ourselves against greed? I, I want you to think about these. I'm going to give a statement, and I want you to think about them with a heart of self-assessment. Like, how does this statement apply to me? Here's the first. Trust God over wealth, work ethic, or worldly self-interest. All of our passages that we've already mentioned is making this immediate connection between trusting God instead of trusting wealth. So ask yourself a question like this. How would I know if I'm actually trusting God or if I'm just giving lip service to my trust of God? So for example, tomorrow, if your home was gone, if your accounts were gone, if your worldly possessions were gone, how would you respond in that moment? How do you know if you are trusting God or if you're trusting what you have? Now, let me say it like this. One of those things is people learn in the moment. We might say, this is how I would respond. You don't know how you're going to respond until you're in that moment. And if it comes to something like losing everything, just know, a part of loss is what we call grief. Grief is a common response to loss, and it's not just loss of a loved one. It could be loss of dreams, loss of a job, loss of wealth, loss of lifestyle. There's going to be greed that's going to also play in on some of those areas of, of loss. But here's the point that I want you to hear. The further we walk with God, if something major like that happens, we should go from grief and shock to, Lord, you're in control faster and faster. It, it, you might not be there. That might not be your first response. You might be thinking the sky's falling. You are chicken little in person form. You're like, I don't know how this is going to work out. But the longer we walk with Jesus, the more we walk through difficult moments, the quicker and quicker it should become for us saying, I trust you anyway. All right, so here's the next one. Trust and obey the promptings of the Holy Spirit in relation to giving. Trust all and, hear, and obey and obey, and obey. Say it with me, and obey. Yeah, hey, that, you all did that. Very nice, very nice. I'm shocked. Most of the time, Baptist preachers say, say it with me, and nobody says anything. So thank you all for that. I'm encouraged. And here's the reason this is important. Trusting that God will care for our needs is one thing. Trusting that God will use you to help care for somebody else, that's another thing. 
Because sometimes God puts a monetary amount in your mind. You're like, Lord, you don't, I don't know if you know what I got in my account right now, but that's going to that's gonna put us in a financial bind. But when God is the one prompting, we can trust him with those things. So we should anticipate, we should anticipate a part of biblical prudence is anticipating God will bring you into moments of trust where he wants you to give something to somebody else. Sometimes what you do on that to prepare, you get yourself a little account off to the side. That's just your giving account. And, that, and you just keep putting money in. You're like, I don't know when it's coming, but God's going to ask me to give something. I'm going to be prepared. It might be somebody's going on a mission trip, and you're like, I need to help support them. It might be somebody's going through a financial crisis. You're like, here it is. I got the money ready. There's a part of preparation in biblical prudence that is going to look out for taking care of somebody else. And this one's going to be hard. Y'all ready for this? I'm still on the same point, but this is a good point. Okay. When it comes to people looking out for others, if you're like me, I love a good deal. When I negotiate a car, if I don't walk away with a good deal, I, it's just a bad day. When I, I, I find something on sale, I want it to be a good deal. Okay, here's the thing. If you're so focused on that deal that you walk away robbing that other person, you didn't care for them the way you should. We need to have those moments where in the middle of that negotiating, we say, if I had to share the gospel with this person, would they have any idea that I love God based on how I'm responding? Take that to the house with you right there. Amen. <laughs> By the way, I got my running shoes on this morning. So if I see some people get aggressive, I'm out of here. So anyway, all right, so here's the third part of that. Trust God to prompt you when biblical self-interest devolve into selfish or sinful desires. Alarm bells should be going off in our heads when our decisions, our plans, and our actions are not concerned at all with the needs of those that are around us. In other words, how much time, maybe this is a prayer question, how much time in your devotional walk with God are you praying and asking God, how can I care for the needs of those that are around me? Now, let's switch gears for just a moment. We'll talk about contentment. That is, here's our passage, Philippians 4, 11 through 13. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means and also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Contentment refers to being happy or satisfied with what one has or the circumstances in which one exists. So with contentment, there is this absence of worry or striving. A true contentment only comes from God. In fact, Augustine was the one who gave this incredible quote, thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our hearts will be restless until we find our rest in thee. There is a part of our contentment or discontentment that completely comes back to our relationship with God 100%.
But whenever true contentment comes in, a person can be on either end of the spectrum, in abundance or in poverty, and they can still be content. That was the case for the Apostle Paul. He's writing those words in Philippians as he is imprisoned. He's chained to a Roman guard. He's in a place of suffering at this point. And he's saying, I've learned how to be content. I'm okay on both ends of the spectrum. Now, here's the key on that. He learned contentment. You don't come out the box content. If you've ever noticed, child comes out kicking, screaming, wanting their way. They want it now. There is a learning to contentment. Contentment is a learned virtue. So contentment is a learned virtue that God is going to walk us through. But at the same time, contentment is not about how much we have or how little we have. You will often find some of the most content people in the world have virtually nothing, and some of the most discontent people in the world have a lot of earthly wealth, and vice versa. It doesn't mean on either side that that is somehow the answer. Discontentment is not about what we have. So because the Apostle Paul trusted in God's provision, he could say to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6.8, if we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. If God gives more, That's just a blessing. If God takes from what we have, we're okay with that. There is a contentment that comes from God. Now, here's the thing I want you to notice in our Philippians 4 text. It is important to see that the word learned in verse 12 is not the same word as it is in verse number 11. Verse number 12 means instructed or initiated into a secret. Here's why that's so important. It was through trials and testing that Paul learned and was initiated into this biblical secret of contentment. In other words, you got to go through some stuff before you say, he's still enough when I don't have what I thought I could never live without. So he said, I've, I've learned it. I've been initiated in through the circumstances of life. Now, this is one of the things I love about Look at scripture in context. Did you see the last part of that? I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Talk about your passage that's often taken out of context. That's it. The context is contentment. In other words, he's saying, if I've got nothing, I can do all things. I'm going to be content. If I've got a lot, I'm going to be able to do all things because I'm content in him. Now, we use that for everything other than contentment. Stop doing that. Okay. All right, so Hebrews captures part of that. Chapter 13, verse 5, it says, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Here it is. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We can be content, free from the love of money, because we trust that God will never leave us or forsake us. Greed and discontentment. Both come back to trusting God. So now let's ask a really practical question about contentment. Is it wrong to desire something more? Is it wrong to ask God to change the circumstances of your life? No, it's not. The question is, where are you going to put your trust in the process? If you pray and say, God, I'm asking that you would bless me with this, and he decides to give that 
will you still be content? If he says, nope, I'm teaching something else here. I want you to be content in me. I'm going to say no for now because I got something else down. If he says no, are you still going to be content in him? So part of this is recognizing our contentment has nothing to do with our possessions. It has everything to do with him. When he is in the right place in our life, there is a contentment. Things can make a contented life more enjoyable, but things cannot make a discontented life satisfied. You've got to have him. So with that, contented people trust in the Lord and what it is that he says. Thomas Akempis gave this wonderful quote in The Imitation of Christ. He said, you cannot find complete satisfaction in any temporal gift because you were not created to find your delight in them. Even if you possessed all the good things that God has created, you could not feel happy and glad. All your gladness and happiness rest in the God who created those things. Great quote. So let's bring it all back together. The biblical antidote for greed is trusting God. Trust God with our wealth, our work ethic, as well as worldly self-interest. We trust and obey the promptings of the Holy Spirit in relation to giving. We trust God to prompt us when biblical self-interest devolves into selfishness or sinful desires. But at the same time, the biblical antidote for discontentment is to trust God and trust what he says. Now, what happens if you look at this and say, I think I've got some greed and discontentment that's come into my life. What do I do? Same path we followed last week. Recognize sin as sin. Don't try to rename it. Don't try to excuse it. Don't try to ignore it. Second, repent of sin often and quickly. When you recognize sin in your life, quickly confess it before God and ask God by his grace that you would turn from it, that you would forsake it, that you would embrace what is right for your life. Number three, run to Jesus. That is, our, our identity is in him. Our contentment is in him. Our trust is to be in him. And then number four, remember to live with joy and gratitude. Each of the five pieces we've now mentioned, from envy, jealousy, covetousness, this time greed and discontentment, all of those come back to an unhealthy or sinful desire that has moved off of God's plan and his, his provision for our lives. So thank him for what he's given. If you start your morning in gratitude and thankfulness, say, God, thank you for my life. Thank you for my salvation. Thank you for my family. Thank you for the roof over my head. Thank you for food that's in my stomach. Thank you for the friends and family that you got around me. Thank you for the opportunities you've blessed me with in life. I thank God for technology in my life. I thank God for my children. I thank God for mission opportunities. I, I, just, I just keep going down through the list. When you start thanking God and being joyful for what you have, you walk away saying, God, if you never give me anything else, I'm good. I got far more than I ever deserved when you saved me, much less all the blessings that have come since that time. Greed and discontentment are both sins. They're both harmful, but each of them can be overcome through the power of the Holy Spirit with a life that is submitted to him. I'm going to ask you if you would to bow with me for prayer.
Heads bowed, eyes closed for just a moment. Our pastors are going to be coming forward. Some of the wives are going to be with them. Our band is going to be coming forward at this time, and we're going to step into a time of prayer and reflection and many ways response to what the Word of God has to say. Scripture is clear in both of these areas, as well as the ones from last week. So it might be that there's people in the room right now that they're saying, listen, greed and discontentment, I don't think that's my thing, but there's something else. There's another issue in my heart right now that I need to confess and repent of before God. It might be that you want to stay right at your seat and do that. It might be that for some people in the room, they feel more comfortable in a posture of repentance by coming forward, kneeling down, saying, God, this is something that I'm asking you to not only free me from, but help me to walk in obedience with after this point. It might be that there's people in the room right now that you don't have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. You know you don't. There's never been that moment in your life that you have repented of your sin by placing faith in Christ, but you desire for there to be a new start. You desire a life that is better than what you're currently living. There are pastors and pastor's wives and counselors right down here that if you simply come up and say, I need help, I don't know how Jesus can change my life, they will take you from that moment and walk you through a process of transformation. Whatever that might be on your heart, I simply ask if you would respond to how the Spirit of God is prompting you. Heavenly Father, we need you today. We need you to not only clarify our need, but we need you to give us the enablement that is necessary to act upon what is the right path of truth. So Lord, we're gonna ask today that you would do a deep work in our heart. May there be a reflective attitude in each of our spirits. And God, we will thank you for what you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as we sing? The altar is open. Would you respond to him?